Hello everyone and welcome to this episode, the Communication One, of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. I'm Andrew Jacobs. Communication is a headline term which we band about a lot. We can recognise people with good communication skills, but knowing why they're good is both complex and challenging. To help pull this apart, we have two great communicator guests on this episode. Our first guest is Laura Patsko. Laura is a learning experience consultant, teacher and trainer currently based in Athens, Greece. She specialises in the use of English as an international language of communication, accent and identity, and the practical applications of linguistic research in teaching and learning. When not teaching, you'll probably find her exploring Athens on foot with her awesome little dog, Hero. Our second guest is Lauren Weber. Lauren is the Vice President of Sampling and Ambassadors for Soho Experiential. Her experience leading teams in HR, hospitality, events management and learning and development including through COVID, has led to her elevation as a leader for driving customer preference for one of the biggest spirit brands in the world. Warning you now, you need to strap yourselves in for an awesome podcast episode. Recorded in June of this year, this is Women Talking About Learning. This is Laura and Lauren talking about communication. Hello, how are you doing? I would say this morning, but this afternoon uh, in Athens. (laughs) Hi, I'm very well. I'm sitting in an air-conditioned room, for which I'm very grateful. <laughs> amazing. How are you amazing. doing this this uh, morning, your time? And remind me where you're based again. Doing good. Uh, I actually am in Golden, Colorado. I work for a company in New York, so I moved back and I kind of travel back and forth between New York and Colorado throughout the month. It just snowed here the other day, uh, so don't need air conditioning yet. Snow? <laughs> yes. The global warming, it snowed snowed in June, uh, so kind of a That's different, incredible. different weather here, but I'm excited to be on the podcast today. I actually hadn't uh, been introduced to the podcast until finding this opportunity and then listening through mm. all of the episodes. It really helped you know, inspire different things that, that I'm working on right now. Uh, but I know we were talking about how communication really is this very wide topic. There's a lot of different directions you can go with yeah. communication. Yeah. But it almost made it more interesting with our backgrounds of me being in events and marketing and brand promotions mm-hmm. um, and you being in linguistics and your background. So, mm-hmm. so different. But yet yeah, we're both here to discuss communication. I think that's actually, for me, one of the most interesting things about communication and how I got interested in the field of language, which is communication, really, is that everybody has something to say about it. You cannot open the topic of language or communication without somebody having experience or an opinion or values or something meaningful because actually it connects all of us. So it's a really nice topic to connect with people on. And you always know you're going to find some common ground, whatever you do, because everybody has that lived experience of what it means to communicate. So I thought a lot about this before coming today to, to record this, thinking about, you know, how do I actually put into words what communication means to me and how, how it influences everything I do and how the things that I do influence the communication of others. And then I was thinking about you and your background and realized how little I know about your field. And I was thinking, I'm actually really interested to hear what communication means for you in practice and a day-to-day. So doing like events and marketing, Mm -hmm. what's your connection to the topic? 
Yeah. So I was thinking about the same thing. And for me, like, what is the definition of communication? I do joke when if I'm teaching a presentation class and someone says, you know, oh, Webster's Dictionary defines communication as X, Y, Z. And I always use that um, totally as a joke. But um, I, for me, communication is storytelling. And I know we hear about that um, through empathy on, on that episode of this podcast. But for me, when you said that in learning um, and communications, everyone has these shared experiences, everyone has experienced it. That's really what I look for. So in my industry and what I do, I train staff and ambassadors to promote brands and build brand affinity. And with experiential marketing, it's all about giving people the experience. And so what I do is really spend a lot of time trying to figure out what matters to other people. So if we do have these shared experiences, it is about tapping into that and asking people, you know, what about this? Like, what moment in time did this change your mind? Or even if it's, you know, tequila, you might have someone I always say who is like, I hate tequila because, you know, oh, well, I don't like tequila because I had a bad experience in college or something like that. But then it's introducing someone to a different brand or a different way to think about something, even if it's not one of our spirits brands. It's like, okay, when did you know, this change for you. So for example, I was one of those people who just thought about really rough tequila and not great experiences. Uh, and then I tried good tequila. I tried really great cocktails and that changed my mind that now tequila is my go-to when it comes to spirits. And I have this passion for agave and learning about the industry. So it's really like finding with someone what it, what they're going to care about. So again, whether it's our spirits um, or one of its our you know our other clients even if it's just makeup or something, you know, it's it's talking to someone and finding out why should they care is really, you know, we, we talk about a reason to believe all the time mm -hmm. and it's really what I believe or why I'm passionate about something, why I like something that might not matter at all. To someone else. Mm. So it's really finding out from someone and communicating what matters to them. What is the shared experience they have that's actually going to make them listen? If they have, if they're not connected, uh, if they have no reason to believe, no reason to care, they're not going to listen to you. They're going to zone out and they're going to go somewhere else. That's really interesting because that's a lot more complex and nuanced than I probably ever really thought about since I don't work in your industry and obviously I haven't devoted hours of my life, years of my life to thinking about it like you have. Like, I think what I'm hearing is that communication for you actually has lots of different meanings and purposes because it's not just what communication takes place in, say, an ad or when marketing a brand, but it's also the communication that takes place between the people who are doing the research that leads to that marketing because they're talking about shared experience and stories. And it seems like what it all has in common is a, a connection, like communication is actually about connection, I suppose, and finding a connection with other people. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a perfect way of saying it is that connection. It is, as you said, like we all have shared experiences, but it is, it's finding that connection and what matters, what we have in common, I guess, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, working off of that and truly finding, again, what they care about, what you care about, because then it, it will be you know, authentic. It Yeah. Yeah. Storytelling is very influential in in my opinion. It can change process. It just really enriches brands and aligns people into a common a common space. Yeah. 
I think stories are really powerful and it's it, that's something that comes up a lot in uh, education generally, but especially in language teaching, second language education, stories are often used as a, almost as a methodology because when you've got people who are, I mean, expressing oneself is hard enough in any context, doing it in a second language while you're learning that language and you're maybe a little uncomfortable or you're maybe not very proficient yet, that can be quite threatening to your your kind of sense of identity. And stories are a really great way to bridge between different cultures, between different people's experiences, different backgrounds. And so I think, yeah, what you're saying about the power of stories is also something I've seen a lot in uh, the kind of education space and teaching people how to communicate. You know, we tell stories all the time. We hear stories all the time, and not just in the kind of crude sense of like a storybook, you know, that you read to your children, but the sense of like a personal story, a personal narrative that you have about your identity or in the sense of a kind of everyday story that you tell someone, oh, guess what happened to me this morning? Like even the meaning story, uh, Mm -hmm. even the word story can have so many meanings and Yeah, it's interesting to find that parallel, I suppose, between our our different fields. Yeah, absolutely. And I would love to know also, you know, I didn't really think about you're talking about the second language and communication and being abroad, um, at least pre-COVID. And how did you kind of move into communication and education when it came to a second language? Oh, that's a great question. How long have you got? (laughs) Um, I think we we might need a series of podcasts on this. I don't know is probably the short answer. I just followed what I love doing. I've always loved learning. um, And without necessarily calling it language or communication, I think I've always loved those things too. Just ever since I was little, you know, as, as we get older, we sometimes look back at how we were as children and we realize there's a theme that's followed us through our life, even if we didn't know it at the time. And I've always just found expression, language, identity, communication, those sorts of aspects of the human experience really interesting and rewarding to work with. Um, And funnily enough, when I, so I studied linguistics at university, and then when I finished, I went into advertising, actually, Mm. (laughs) um, and worked with brands. And I did that for about two years, and I realized it wasn't really for me. But the, the reason I'd gone into it is because I thought it was a really interesting way to kind of explore creativity and communication for for want of a better word. Um, Again, I might not have put those words on it at the time, but I think that's what I was trying to figure out is, I don't know what to do with my linguistics degree. I know I'll I'll work in a creative industry. And then after a couple of years, I realized how much I really missed working with language and I trained to be a teacher. Um, And I taught English as a second language. I still do teach English as a second language, but now I do a a wider range of things. So I kind of moved into it in a bit of a a clumsy way of, you know, knowing that there was something there that I found really engaging and interesting, but not quite knowing what to do with it. And when I started teaching, I just loved it because teaching and learning are such a kind of, it's like, I don't know, sometimes I think of a kind of metaphor of dance. It's like a beautiful dance between people, but one where you kind of don't know all the steps you sort of know some of them, but there's a little bit of improvisation. And when you're in a lesson, in a language lesson, where the whole reason for being there is about better communication between people who maybe don't already have a means of communication, you know, that's why you're learning this other language. 
there's something just so beautiful about how you choreograph that activity and how you include people and how you explore each other's sort of identities and messages. And I don't know, the beauty of expression has just always got me interested in, in many different things and many different projects, but that's sort of how I ended up building a whole career and, and exploring different aspects of this thing we're calling communication. It, it was that sort of combination of learning, teaching, getting to know people and, and understanding identity and culture. I've always been really interested in identity and culture. So yeah, it's, it's kind of not been a, a, it's not easy to summarize, but right. there's been certain themes that just come back in my life um, that I've always found fascinating. Yeah, so no, yeah, that, that answers your question. No, absolutely, absolutely. And <laughs> That's a good it question. Really, really resonates um, with kind of how I fell into training as well. Mm. Uh, but one thing, you know, you mentioned in terms of just having this passion or finding these things very interesting and wanting to talk to people and the dance between the processes and just the different identities kind of that come up. I think I've really found I didn't I don't come from an HR background. I come from a musical theater background. Um, mm. Actually, I went to school for musical theater. I was trying to decide if I wanted to move to New York or Orlando because I wanted to be a Disney princess. Turns out I'm too short to be a Disney princess. <laughs> oh wow! Um, <laughs> yes, I wanted to be Belle at Disney World. I am too short, uh, oh. so <laughs> moved to New York. <laughs> and in New York is do. where I was doing theater. Yeah, and um, you know, part time bartending and uh, doing events and educating on on products and you know, that's how I fell into events. Um, and as I was promoting and doing events and educating, I didn't realize what that was. I've done events for 10 years and it was only, you know, a few, probably five years ago that I realized, oh, education is what the common thread is in between these different roles I've played in the industry. Education and training is kind of the common thread uh, that I look for, uh, but it, you know, kind of once I found realized my passion was learning, development, training, meeting different people in the industry. It's a very passionate industry because to be in learning and education, you have to be very patient, but you have to be very passionate about what you do. And so, you know, when you're talking about just including people and having it be rewarding and just a theme through everything that you do. It's been great to meet people in different areas of learning because even though what you and I do is very different, we do share that same passion for kind of yeah. connecting with people and educating. And my training, you know, started in brands and products and category education and then moved into part that part onboarding and training. And that I have just found so rewarding. And someone I work with, like they ask me, they're like, how do you know this is what you want to do? You know, I'm like, well, I've <laughs> changed a lot Good of question. careers. I've done a lot of very, um, you know, different jobs. I've been a telemarketer. I've been <laughs> done all sorts of, of things and found something that I'm like, you know, it is very rewarding and, you know, exciting to be able to work with, with different people and, 
you know, I'm sure for you in the classroom and teaching, you realize that everybody has their own personality. Everyone learns a different way. Um, and it's not, absolutely, yeah. yeah, one person's way is not better than another. It's just different. So exactly. I like the challenge exactly. too. Yeah. Of being like, okay, so if I have 15 different ambassadors or 10 different new hires, what do, you know, I need to do in order to help them succeed? And so I think that is something is, identifying, you know, their identity and connecting with them and Mm -hmm. finding out, you know, we also kind of started digital learning, which helped in the COVID era, but finding, you know, that works for some people. It really doesn't work for other people. Right. And that's really the, that's really Mm -hmm. the beauty of learning. I think, sorry, Mm -hmm. I cut you off, especially. No, totally fine. I was just thinking that, you know, you've used the word connection a couple of times and that's been coming up in my mind as well as I think communication and learning are both all about connection. This common theme that you're identifying, like that goes through your career and that's gone through mine is actually a love of learning and connecting. Communication is the way to do those things. It's like, if you really want to connect with people, you want to learn more about them. And you also want to grow as a person and learn in your life because learning is a lifelong thing. Communication is the means to that end. It's like, how do you actually find, you know, means of expression and connection when we all have, like you're saying, like different needs, different preferences, different ways of learning, different things that work for us. And that I think is a really creative space to inhabit. And maybe that answers the question a little bit when people ask you, how do you know this is what you love doing? It's like, well, it actually enables you to be really creative. And creativity, I think, is a really kind of deep human instinct this this mm-hmm. drive for being creative and you have to be creative when you're looking at you know the puzzle that is a person you're like this person in front of me we have so much in common we're able to connect and communicate and yet they'll have a whole range of different life experiences a different background different needs and preferences or maybe similar needs and preferences to me but different reasons why they came about and that I find, and it sounds like you do too, is a really like inspirational way to get creative because you're thinking, okay, so how can I make this work? How can I make us work together so that we both learn and develop and connect? And that's that, that just seems to touch on some really kind of rich human themes and it comes back to what we were saying about, you know, how language and communication is actually something everybody has in common, that everybody's got an opinion, everybody's got an experience, because it's just such a, a, a basic of the human experience, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think, like you said, con- communication really is the connecting factor between everything. And I've found with, you know, I'm very fortunate that the remote learning has worked very well uh, for me and in, in the flexibility, uh, but it has taken, you know, some different adjustments because I have found that a lot of the communication now might be very transactional. And mm. I think people forget that maybe on the other end of the line, you have a person and right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, I get on a 30 minute You have like meeting. a whole rich human. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I get on a 30 minute call uh, and I'm like, okay, I have 30 minutes to check off these things on my list. And I might get off the call and realize, oh, I don't have any idea how this person is doing, <laughs> you know, and that really comes up. I've heard, mm. you know, if a team is struggling to communicate So, you know, I do have the side of the business that is the education to guests and, um, you know, 
bartenders and all of that. But then internally within the company, HR and the head of HR and I have found that if a team is really struggling, a lot of times it's just because they are being very transactional and they're Mm -hmm. not taking the time to actually have a conversation and communicate and take that step away. We say like, don't bring your personal life too much into the office, but everyone is going to. That's not. Yeah, you can't help you, it. You, you, can't. Know, you can't yeah. detach your 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 business persona from the rest of your life entirely. Yeah. And you can't, you know, communication also doesn't work that way. Like you can't sort of segment all the different mm-hmm. things that you're trying to communicate consciously and unconsciously. Like sometimes you're like, I remember hearing somewhere this expression that all behavior is communication. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Because then even like the way you enter a room or the way you sit in your chair is kind of communicating something and you simply can't strip all that away. So like you say, it's like, okay, you know, you don't have to bring in everything into the office, into every conversation, but we also can't pretend that we're not carrying with us the rest of the stuff that we're, uh, you know, that makes up our identity or our circumstances. So it's, it's quite a complex terrain to navigate when you think about it, actually. Well, it is, and definitely like nonverbal communication. Like you were talking about, even when I work with people in presentation about how they use their voice and mm-hmm. how that helps people, you know, connect with them. Uh, I was reading about, you know, how a song has a melody, and so you might be able to memorize a song, which is three minutes of lyrics, very, very easily, but you could not repeat what someone just said to you a lot of the time. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of about that, but. You know, when it comes to whether it's nonverbal communication or verbal communication, I have found as a woman, I have had to, I do feel very conscious of who I'm speaking to and how I have to maybe change how I come across depending on who is in the room. Um, I think I'm very fortunate that I work at a company with a lot of diversity, uh, but with a lot of men in leadership who are very aware of women in leadership as well. Um, but you know, there are still times where I'm like, okay, if I come across this way, is it going to come across as too emotional? If a man were to say this, would it come across as Hmm. okay? But because I come across this way, is it going to be, oh, well, she's saying that because she's, Hmm. yeah. Yeah. Is is it, you know, that's important to her because she's a woman and that might be a trait that, uh, you know, might be more associated again, whether it's emotional and, So I'm just very, like, I used to be like, oh, I'm too emotional. I'm too emotional in all aspects of my life. Um, And then I kind of thought to myself, like, what does that mean, too emotional? And I've kind of learned Yeah, whose judgment is that? You know, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I've kind of learned with different people in my company, the different people I train, that there are some people who do not respond well to emotions. (laughs) So as a woman, I might be like, okay, so I think... As a woman, if I do this, it might come across, you know, as a stereotype. So maybe I'll reel it in. And then I have other people who appreciate the emotion and the ability, I think the empathy and the ability to say, um, yeah, I've cried in the office too. <laughs> so yes, I've had a panic attack in the office too. And some people might think, oh, that's too, you know, being too vulnerable as a woman in the workplace might hold you back. Some, maybe you do need to be more um, kind of as I say, bossy, I think doesn't come across a lot in, when talking about men um, in leadership, but does come across with women. But at the same time, especially I do find with younger generations that 
being a human and having those emotions, even if they're like, oh, well, you're just a very emotional woman. To some people, that makes all the difference. And there are some people that I've trained that I am still, you know, very connected with them, even if I don't work with them every day, Mm. because they know that I will be very honest and, again, say, it's okay. You cried in the office. I've cried in the office too, (laughs) even though someone might be like, oh, that's a little too honest. And as a woman, that could hold you back. But I think I've decided if that holds me back, I'd rather, I guess I'd rather be held back by that than lose that part of Then move my forward on someone else's. Yeah. 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 It's like you'd rather be held back on those terms than move forward on someone else's. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're touching on here, it really, it, it really breaks my heart to hear, you know, um, um, experience like the one you're describing and the not experience, that's too light a word, dilemmas, mm-hmm. you know, like conundrums, like the one you're describing where it's like, okay, how is the best way for me to communicate in X circumstances with Y audience in order to achieve, you know, the true expression of my needs and my identity. Mm-hmm. And what I find, the reason I say it breaks my heart is because like when I'm This is one of the most challenging things that I find when teaching second language learners about communicating in English, uh, which happens to be the language that I teach. I mean, it's true for communicating in any second language to an extent, but because communication is a two-way street. And yet there are God knows how many millions of people enrolling in courses to learn how to speak a second language. But have you ever heard of anybody ever enrolling in a course on how to empathize with someone who's communicating with them in a second language. Mm. It's like all of the pressure, all of the burden is put on the learner. The implication, definitely implicit, but sometimes explicit sort of direction is it's your job to communicate. Mm -hmm. And you are the one who has control over how that is perceived. And therefore you carry the entire psychological weight and communicative burden of expressing your needs, your identity to some mysterious audience that you haven't yet met, but you're going to meet them outside the classroom. And I think this manifests not only with people who are learning a second language, but also with many women and in the circumstances like you describe, where it's not entirely your job or any other woman's or any other person's job to anticipate and address all of the possible reactions that somebody might have to the way you've expressed something. But because of the way that we view the kind of intersection between communication and gender, let's say, which I know is also a a complex and nuanced term, because of the way that culturally we're set up to have certain expectations and certain labels, it just creates this like impossible situation. And there's actually, there's a linguist um, is very well known. She's called Robin Lakoff. She wrote an article, well, she wrote many things years ago. She talks about the concept of a double bind, which women are in, which is like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Um, it's like the, the, I can't express it as well as she does. And I'm not going to try to quote her because I'll get it wrong. But the concept <laughs> of the double bind is that if you behave, especially linguistically, the way a woman should, you're somehow disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. And yet, if you then, as a woman, adapt your behavior to align more with the expectations of how men communicate, then you're also disadvantaged. It's like, if you speak assertively, that's like a male characteristic. If you're bossy, that's a female characteristic. And it even comes down to the language that we use to describe men and women and the collocation 
of certain adjectives. So for example, bossy generally modifies women. It doesn't, you never hear about a, a bossy man. Right. And, you know, we even, we're, we're so sort of tacitly aware of this, that you even get, you know, like t-shirts that say girl boss. And it's like, the only reason that's funny, the only reason that works is because we understand implicitly that girls are not bosses. Right. And so then like all of this, the, and this is all communication as well, then like the way that we are all telling each other, men and women all the time about like what our places are in society. The thing is that trickles down to the practical everyday situations, like mm -hmm. the one you're just describing, where you, you know, you have a conversation with someone in the office and you're tying yourself in knots about your side of the communication and your responsibility for basically just being you and saying the thing you have to say. And it's like, right. it's so unfair that that should all fall on you. Like that's why, why should you have to do so much work? Like we all have a responsibility to play in good communication, the speaker and the listener, you know, both sides of the conversation. And it's, it's just, it's mind boggling the paradox between how complex that is, all the stuff that we're doing, all the mental gymnastics that we're doing, and also how simple it looks when it's happening. And so when I'm in a classroom and someone says, you know, teacher, I said this and I said it in this way and the person laughed, why? And I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> how do I even begin to answer that question? Like, I can understand uh -huh. your question. I can also understand their reaction. I also don't agree with their reaction. Like, how do I address that? Um, and there's also, I'll just mention another um, fantastic linguist called uh, Debbie Cameron, and she writes a blog about, uh, I think it's called um, Language, a Feminist's Guide. And she also talks a lot about these issues in communication and the way that, oh, the, the many ways in which women's use of language and the way that they communicate is judged or ridiculed or somehow manipulated or singled out in ways that are patently unfair and ridiculous, but happens so much and so pervasively that she, she does a really nice job of kind of tying together all of these threads into a narrative. And she, she blogs quite often, like not like on a regular, it's not like a, you know, every week you get a newsletter, but she blogs regularly. So it means that when there's like something in the news, she'll often write something really topical that kind of helps you just like process those headlines or those stories through the lens of feminist linguistics. And it's super interesting, super. I think you'd, from what you've said about like the things that you've thought about through not just your workplace, but possibly also, I mean, you'll have to tell me, but possibly also your history of like performance and scripted mm -hmm. language, you know, the, literally the yeah. words that are put in your mouth as a woman, yeah. as a woman. Um, you might find it really interesting to read her stuff and see if any of it resonates with you. Yeah, absolutely. I just wrote that down because, you know, being able to, again, the world of podcasts and things being able to be published online, you kind of find communities where you're able to realize, oh, that's not just me that's felt that way. Uh, or it's not just me that's had to, to deal with that because people might not talk about it again in the office because they think it's just them and they don't want to mm -hmm. be a problem or, or anything yeah, like or they that. they don't want to be singled think, out somehow. Or, yeah, yeah, and that's where I really bring in storytelling because I think a lot of people don't want to show that vulnerability or they're so scared of messing up. Um, they're so scared of, you know, I think when it has come to language, it's really interesting that you say the onus falls on the person who's learning, which I never thought about, but it's very true. It made me think about how actually a very, very vulnerable position someone is putting themselves in to 
learn a second language, mm. um, especially I think as people get older and to put yourself in, in that yeah, place and to, you know, absolutely. open up and, and feel uncomfortable. But at some point it is, it does need to be two-sided, the communication and realizing, well, wow, you know, I haven't put in, you know, I learned, um, I did different language classes in, in high school, but then didn't do it again. And so here, if I'm struggling with language and you have to give someone really big props for taking the time and really It's a pretty brave to, thing to do. Yeah, I absolutely. Think I, like, I like your use of the word vulnerable. That's absolutely what it is. Um, it, you do make yourself quite vulnerable when you put yourself in a position where you, like, you know there's a communicative imbalance from the get-go. Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of starting on the back foot, which is not to say that like everybody walking around out there speaking a second language is like an object of pity. Right, but it's absolutely, right. I think you mentioned the word empathy earlier too. And I think that's a really, really big part of all communication is that empathy. It's the ability to recognize that there's another person there who's also part of the communicative process and getting in touch with how they might be feeling and where they're coming from and what risks they're taking mm -hmm. communicatively. Um, yeah, the risk, I think, the fear of, you know, when I work with people on, again, just opening up and trying to find that uh, common thread and how we can best communicate with each other. One of my favorite things, I was listening to some leadership um, TED Talk, can't remember the exact name mm. of it, uh, but what was really interesting was this woman said, she's like, you know, when I have a new team member or when I want to see how my team do it, is doing, I just say, tell me what's on your mind. And then I stop talking because, mm. you know, you don't need to have all of the solutions, but mm -hmm. you talking at them doesn't do anything. Mm. And the, the, the way people open up by just me yeah. closing my mouth, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is almost like, you know, when I'm Training, I think, you know, I don't really need to train a lot of men on how to find your voice, but I do work on that with a lot of women. And mm. I do talk about how learning how to use your voice and learning when to use your voice and when not to use it is just as important. So, you know, communicating, mm. I think a lot about talking or, you know, nonverbal communication, but some of it is just as much of when you don't use Absolutely. any words at yeah. all and the things that people open up about and yeah. truly when you give them just a pause they really think about it um you know it starts to make them you know feel more comfortable but I can't imagine well I can because I've had times where I've done something and someone has made fun of me or someone has laughed and that mm. takes away the confidence to do it again because you're like well I didn't mm -hmm. like I didn't like that feeling of messing up I didn't like that feeling of of course. You know, being embarrassed or having that feeling in your stomach where like, oh man, <laughs> you know, so I think when it comes to communication, I'm very open about times I've messed up at work, times where mm -hmm. I've definitely messed up a budget. I think my favorite that everyone on my team um, has heard was one time when I had to order a punch bowl for an event and I learned very quickly that you should uh, get a price first uh, before you purchase oh. something because... <laughs> I bought a $15,000 punch bowl. Oh, Jesus. Oh, no. I, yeah. So, you know, I tell my team, I'm like, oh, the, the only way you can learn is is to mess up. Um, and the hmm. only way, like, you need to communicate because I say I'm not someone who says there's no stupid questions. I say there's a ton of, there, there's a ton of stupid questions, but I'd rather you ask them. I'd rather you ask them. I'd rather oh, talk about nice. it. Versus yeah. waiting and, you know, I think communication 
frees up frustration. I tell people when I'm onboarding them that, you know, confidence is, you know, patience is the gateway to confidence. And I think it's the same way with communication, getting better at communication, being open to communication, even if that communication might not go the way you want it to. You're not going to know yeah. until you do yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. And, and yeah. sometimes things just don't go the way you want them to. And that's just life, right? Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> Actually, something you just demonstrated so beautifully there is the, the, the value of demonstrating, like modeling mm-hmm. what you, what will make this communication work. So like giving an example of, hey, here's a time I messed up is like the best ever shortcut to opening up other people because you've just modeled that it's okay to admit a mistake or to laugh at yourself or to say, hey, guess what? I'm human, you know, big surprise. Mm-hmm. But that's a really, really fantastic like communicative lubricant. Like it just greases the wheels of that vehicle that you're going on a journey in together. You're just like, okay, I'm going to put myself out there first. And then it's much easier for other people to follow. And I think... Um, The other thing that you mentioned that I really like is silence and the power of silence and how sometimes all somebody else needs to feel more comfortable in a communication, like in a communicative way, is just to have the space to do it. So yeah, just letting them open up in their own time at their own pace is a really, really valuable communicative tool that it's not mentioned enough. Yeah, absolutely. I think across, you know, all industries, again, it's been so interesting learning about what you do and how different our day to day is, and yet how much mm. similarity there is, and in yet how common the they are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's something I would have never thought of. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure going into uh, this podcast that you know the the type of industry that someone would be in who I was talking to. I think there's mm-hmm. some episodes yeah, that you know people are in the same vein, others not so much, but. Communication, again, as you said, with that just being a very, you know, connecting connecting people and there has to be two sides yeah. of the communication. And I think, you know, it's been really great to kind of have my mind opened up to a different part of the industry and yet learning it still is communication and, and passion and helping people. Yeah, grow, there's a common is, ground. Yeah, yeah, which is really why I do, you know, what I do. And likewise, it's really interesting to hear how it factors into your day to day because it's it's easy but risky when you're kind of in a classroom and you're teaching people like the you are teaching them the practical side because they they are practicing having dialogues and activities and so on. But a lot of it's kind of the theory of here's what you need to do when you get out of the classroom in the world. And you're in a workplace using, you know, uh, HR or events or marketing as your, okay, that's the label on your job, but your day-to-day is communicating with people. And that's what I'm preparing people to do when I'm in the classroom. So it's really good to actually like still be in touch with the reality. You know, it's easy to lose touch with reality when you're always in the classroom and it's like actually once this person finishes their course, they're going to go out in the world and get a job. And if they find themselves in your office, like then all of a sudden, all of those things that you're describing are going to be very pertinent to them. So there's there's more commonality than difference, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I like I like thinking that 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 maybe some people coming from your classroom in Athens one day, maybe they'll come to <laughs> maybe they'll come to my 
my classroom. Um, I don't know. So they might be I put off by the snow. <laughs> that, is, that is very true. Maybe I'll, I'm like, I'll don't come go to Colorado. It snows. <laughs> uh, so true. So true. Um, oh, dear. Although yeah, it does, I, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, finish what you were saying. No, I just, I, you know, I like the idea. I, you know, I think Athens definitely sounds like nice, nice weather um, right now, but I am uh, excited to honestly look look more into to your industry. It's been so nice to meet you. Uh, very it's been really to nice hear, talking to you. Yeah, very interested to hear. You know what what other projects come your way. Cool, and I hope we'll stay in touch. Maybe we'll we'll have our own uh, spinoff series all about communication. <laughs> Since there's like so much to talk about, I feel like we could have kept going for hours. It was really really nice talking to you. Yes, absolutely. You too. I hope you have a good rest of your afternoon. Thank you, and likewise. I loved this episode. I'm not allowed favourites, but if I was, this would definitely be up there. Both Law and Lauren were phenomenal, and a massive thank you to them both for their time and such a brilliant recording. I know you want to connect with them afterwards, and their details are in the show notes, along with information about how to connect with us here at Women Talking About Learning. We're going to be recording a few more episodes in the next few weeks and we have some fabulous topics and guests coming up. And next time, because we planned it, it's the body language one. As always, thanks for listening and we'll see you again soon.